everyone, and welcome to the November 18th edition of the WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Falls, an attorney with the Floyd Scarron Law Firm. Thanks for joining us today. So let's get started with our litigation report. The Court of Appeal ruled that the ABC employment test mandated by the California Supreme Court in the Dynamax case is limited to wage and hour laws. Here's what happened in the published case of Gonzalez v. San Gabriel Transit, Incorporated. Francisco Gonzalez worked as a driver for San Gabriel Transit, Incorporated. In 2014, he filed this putative class action seeking to represent over 550 drivers engaged by the uh, transit company as independent contractors. He claimed the company misclassified drivers as independent contractors and violated the labor code and the Industrial Welfare Commission's wage orders. Their trial court did not evaluate individual causes of action, but instead found that Gonzalez failed to demonstrate the requisite community of interest and denied the motion for class certification. While this appeal was pending, the California Supreme Court decided the Dynamax case in which it adopted the ABC test used in analyzing the distinction between employees and independent contractors for purposes of wage order claims. The Court of Appeal reversed because the trial court did not have the benefit of the Dynamax decision and it remanded the matter back to the trial court with directions. The court concluded that the ABC test adopted in Dynamax is retroactively applicable to pending litigation on wage and hour claims and that the ABC test applies with equal force to labor code claims that seek to enforce the fundamental protections afforded by wage order provisions. However, the court said that statutory claims alleging misclassification not directly premised on wage order protections and which do not fall within the generic category of wage and hour laws are appropriately analyzed under the prior, more conservative Borello test. The California Trucking Association filed an amended complaint in its lawsuit challenging the AB5, the new labor law that seeks to give wage and benefit protections to workers in the gig economy and the International Brotherhood of Teamsters has become a party to this high-profile case. AB5 will make it harder for employers to claim their employees as independent contractors. The Trucking Association believes that AB5 violates their rights guaranteed by the supremacy and commerce clauses of the U.S. Constitution. The complaint addresses the test that the California Supreme Court adopted in Dynamex, which is used to determine whether a worker is an employee or an independent contractor. Under this new test, motor carriers in California would have to stop all contracting with independent contractors in order to prevent facing civil or criminal penalties. Their complaint alleges that the new ABC test is unlawful and is void and unenforceable under the Commerce Clause of the U.S. Constitution as an unreasonable burden on interstate commerce. The CTA also argues that AB5 conflicts with the federal law regulating commercial motor vehicle safety.
Thus, they believe that the federal law should rule due to the supremacy clause of the Constitution. Their first amended complaint was dismissed without prejudice last September, but the dismissal did not address the merits of the claim. Instead, it dismissed the case based upon standing to sue issues and the mootness of the claim. A federal court does not have jurisdiction to hear cases that are neither ripe for review nor moot. Mootness is the doctrine of standing set in a time frame. The requisite personal interest must exist at the commencement of the litigation. Standing must continue throughout its existence and that is known as mootness if it does not. And now our crime report. Police officers' fraud conviction was affirmed by the Court of Appeal despite trial court error. In 2014, 32-year-old Ryan Patrick Natividad, who lived in Corona, reported a work-related injury while working as a Costa Mesa Police Department officer. He falsely claimed that earlier in the day he struck his hand against a brick wall near the jail while transporting an arrestee for booking. Natividad claimed that the arrestee stumbled into the wall, prompting him to use his hand to prevent the arrestee from striking the wall. He listed a jail employee as a witness to the incident in his injury paperwork. But the employee reviewed the jail surveillance camera footage and determined that the incident the defendant reported never occurred and brought the video footage to his supervisor's attention. The city of Costa Mesa reported the fraud to the Orange County District Attorney's Office, who investigated this case. After he was found guilty by a jury in 2017, Natividad was sentenced to six months in county jail. Before trial, the prosecution filed a motion in limine to admit evidence of Natividad's 2009 similar workers' compensation claim for a right-hand injury while also booking an arrestee. The prosecutor in the motion argued that because of the similarities, evidence of the 2009 claim was admissible to prove knowledge, common plan, and absence of mistake in the 2014 claim even though the insurance provider did not contest the 2009 claim, although it suspected fraud. The court ruled the prosecutor would be allowed to put on evidence of the 2009 claim, including the video, to establish intent, common plan, or knowledge. But the prosecutor had to inform the jury that the claim was paid and that the prosecutor could not argue there was fraud in the 2009 claim. Natividad appealed his conviction because of this evidentiary ruling. The Court of Appeal agreed. The trial court erred by admitting the 2009 claim information. Nonetheless, the Court of Appeal affirmed the conviction in the unpublished case of People v. Natividad. There are similarities between the 2009 and 2014 claims where Natividad injured his right hand in the jail while booking an arrestee, but they differ in one important respect. In 2009, the insurance company processed and settled his claim, while in 2014, the insurance company denied his claim. The admission of Natividad's prior legitimate 2009 workers' compensation claim had little probative value. 
At most, it indicated he knew how to file a claim. But its prejudicial value, on the other hand, was significant because even valid claims of workplace injuries are viewed with suspicion. Here, the 2009 claim unfairly suggested a pattern despite the fact there was no indication there was anything improper about the 2009 claim. But he was not prejudiced by this error, and the trial court's admission of evidence of the 2009 claim was harmless. The court held that it was not reasonably probable that had the trial court excluded evidence of the 2009 claim, the result of the proceeding would have been different. And in medical news, not many years ago, applicant attorneys aggressively filed workers' compensation continuous trauma claims for professional athletes in California, alleging that the long-term effects of head injury while playing caused a form of dementia known as CTE. Later, many thousands of those athletes were involved in major civil litigation, which was consolidated in a Pennsylvania federal court and then settled by the NFL. Ultimately, in 2013, the California legislature passed AB 1309, which limited claims for out-of-state athletes, and this substantially reduced the number of these claims. Since then, the subject of head trauma and athletes involved in hard-hitting contact sports has become a hot-button topic among both the scientific and athletic communities. Many now believe that these athletes are putting themselves at much greater risk of serious neurological and cognitive problems later in life. But a recent study by researchers from the University at Buffalo has come to a different conclusion. They compared former National Football League and National Hockey League athletes with current participants in non-contact sports. The study used neuropsychological measures associated with mild cognitive impairment and executive function. And researchers also scanned each athlete's brain to look for signs of mild cognitive impairment, which is thought to be a precursor of early onset dementia. The participants were also asked about their diet, lifestyle, drug and alcohol use, and common cardiovascular problems. They gave blood samples to test for cholesterol levels and were given thorough physical exams. Researchers then compared the professional athletes' results to a control group of 21 amateur participants in non-contact sports such as swimming, cycling, and running. Surprisingly, they found little to no difference between the groups in cognitive ability, memory, and executive function. The study is published in the Journal of Head Trauma Rehabilitation, the official journal of the Brain Injury Association of America. And in regulatory news, the Trump administration plans to require hospitals to publicly disclose the discounted prices they secretly negotiate with insurance companies. The change is intended to increase price transparency for patients shopping for care. The final rule will force hospitals in 2021 to report the rates they strike with individual insurers for all services, including drugs, supplies, facility fees, and care by doctors who work for the facility. 
The administration will also extend the rule to the $670 billion healthcare industry, meaning that insurance companies, including Anthem and Insura and Cigna, must comply. And group health plans that cover employees will have to disclose negotiated rates and previously paid rates for out-of-network treatment in computer-searchable file formats. The proposal will likely face a legal challenge from hospitals and insurers, which have previously warned that transparency, they think, could actually force prices to, prices to rise. A senior Trump administration official said that there are a ton of vested interests who will oppose this new rule, so it expects to get sued. A similar health care transparency law in Ohio remains tangled in the legal web. Still, the Trump administration contends that requiring hospitals to release the negotiated price is intrinsic to lowering costs. If the 6,000 hospitals that accept Medicare do not comply with the proposed requirement, they'll be each slapped with a $300 fine each day. Prices charged for health care vary dramatically depending upon several factors, including whether a patient is in or out of the patient's insurance network, and what price the hospital negotiated with the insurance company. By making those prices available to consumers, the Trump administration argues that hospitals will be under more pressure to compete, eventually causing prices to fall. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo said in September the state would launch a legal action against drug companies and distributors that sell opioids in order to recoup about $2 billion in insurance rate increases that were passed on to New York consumers because of opioids. Premiums surged because insurers had to cover prescription costs and opioid-related issues such as emergency room visits and addiction treatments, according to Cuomo. This month, New York's insurance regulator has formally notified a group of opioid manufacturers and distributors that it will launch a civil enforcement action against them for contributing towards a rise in health insurance premiums in the state. Letters were sent to around 23 opioid manufacturers and distributors, notifying them that the regulator would begin the process to hold a hearing on the issue in an administrative proceeding. A list of entities the regulator had subpoenaed here included Purdue Pharma, Johnson & Johnson, Teva Pharmaceuticals, McKesson Corporation, Amerisource Bergen Drug Corporation, and Janssen Pharmaceuticals. A letter of intent to bring an enforcement action follows a determination by the regulator that there is sufficient evidence to bring the case. The entities will first have an opportunity to try and convince the regulator not to start the proceeding. Funds that New York would collect from the suit would be returned to consumers possibly in the form of rebates of lower insurance premiums. Insurance companies and self-insurers that process claims for workers' comp liability and no-fault claims involving Medicare beneficiary claims need a better way to obtain information about Medicare Advantage and Part D drug plans that may have a claim for a conditional payment reimbursement. Numerous lawsuits have been filed across the country demanding double damages 
for failure to reimburse Medicare Advantage and Part D plans. These private Medicare plans advocate that they have the same recovery rights as traditional Medicare. Thus far, they have convinced two U.S. court circuits that they are correct. In many states, primary plans are challenged to find out the identity of private Medicare plans at the time they settle their claims. There is no central database for this information that is available. Instead, they must rely on claimants and their attorneys for the information, which proves unreliable, leading sometimes to costly lawsuits. The solution to all of this may be a simple piece of legislation pending in both houses of Congress, H.R. 1375 and Senate Bill 1989. The Provide Accurate Information Directly Act, also known as the PAID Act, aims to address challenges claims payers have in determining Part C and Part D enrollment. Senate Bill 1989, which is identical to the House version, proposes that the Centers for Medicaid and Medicare expand its Section 111 query process to identify whether an individual is or during the preceding three-year period was enrolled in Medicare Part C, which is Medicare Advantage, or Medicare Part D, which is Prescription Drug Plan, and to provide the name and address of each plan identified during the preceding three-year period. The legislation was initially introduced last year in the 115th Congress and has now been updated at the request of CMS. In December 2018, the Congressional Budget Office scored the legislation as saving $25 million. Passage of the PAID Act will allow settling parties to repay MSP amounts and allow for the coordination of benefits by requiring CMS to share the needed information. And in medical news, the California Workers' Compensation Institute reports that opioid use in claims is declining. The prevalence of opioids in California workers' comp lost time claims has dropped 51% over the past decade. This reduced both average benefit payments and average days away from work on those claims. So the 10-year costs on 2010 through 2017 claims system-wide are projected to decline by an estimated $6.5 billion. The study's authors analyzed 273,000 lost time claims in which treatment was initiated within a 10-year period. The authors found that over the 10-year span of the study, chronic opioid use, defined as three or more opioid prescriptions, each filled at least three weeks apart and filled within four consecutive months, declined from 13% to 3% of all lost time claims. This is a relative decline of 77% while acute use declined from about 36% to just over 21% of the claims. This was a relative decline of 40%. The study also showed that the strength of the opioids dispensed within the first 12 months of treatment measured in cumulative morphine milligram equivalents declined 59% for chronic opioid use claims and 36% for acute opioid use claims. 
The Institute's study concludes that future declines will depend on a number of factors, including advances in evidence-based medicine research and treatment guidelines, as well as medical providers' continued adoption of alternative plan management protocols. Google is engaged in a secret project with one of the country's largest healthcare systems to collect and crunch the detailed personal health information of millions of Americans across 21 states. This initiative, codenamed Project Nightingale, appears to be the largest in a series of efforts by Silicon Valley giants to gain access to personal health data and to establish a toehold in the massive healthcare industry. Amazon.com Incorporated, Apple Incorporated, and Microsoft are also aggressively pushing into healthcare, though they have not yet struck deals of this scope. Google began the effort last year with St. Louis-based Ascension Health, the second largest health system in the U.S., with the data sharing accelerating over this summer and fall. The data involved in Project Nightingale pertains to lab results, doctor diagnoses, and hospitalization records, among other categories, and amounts to a complete health history including patient names and dates of birth. Neither patients nor doctors have been notified of this data collection. At least 150 Google employees already have access to much of the data on tens of millions of patients. Some Ascension employees have raised questions about the way the data is being collected and shared, both from a technological and ethical perspective. But privacy experts said it appeared to be permissible under federal law. That law, the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act of 1986, this is HIPAA, generally allows hospitals to share data with business partners without telling patients as long as the information is used only to help the covered entity carry out its healthcare functions. Google, in this case, is using the data in part to design new software, underpinned by advanced artificial intelligence and machine learning. The point is to zero in on individual patients to suggest changes in their care. But staffers across Alphabet Incorporated, Google's parent, have access to the patient information including some employees of Google Brain, a research science division credited with some of the company's biggest breakthroughs. A Google spokeswoman said the project is fully compliant with federal health law and includes robust protections for patient data. Google and nonprofit Ascension have parallel financial motives. Google has assigned dozens of engineers to Project Nightingale so far, without charging for any of the work, because it hopes to use the framework to sell similar products to other health systems. Its end goal is to create an omnibus search tool to aggregate disparate patient data and host it all in one place. The project is being developed under Google's cloud division, which trails rivals like Amazon and Microsoft and MarketShare. The Google CEO has said repeatedly this year that finding new areas of growth for the cloud is a priority. Ascension is a Catholic chain of 2,600 hospitals, doctor's offices, and other facilities. It aims in part to improve patient care, 
It also hopes to mine data in order to come up to, to order up more tests or determine whether it might be able to make more money from an individual patient. Ascension is also eager for a faster system than its existing decentralized electronic record keeping network. And in other industry news, Quality Custom Distribution, a fast food industry supplier for the likes of Starbucks, Chick-fil-A, and Chipotle, is moving its corporate headquarters from Irvine, California to Texas. It joins a growing list of California firms moving headquarters operations to Texas, most notably Toyota, USA's relocation from Torrance three years ago. Other movers include Occidental Petroleum from Los Angeles and Jamba Juice from San Francisco. The company is a logistics unit of food industry supply giant Golden State Foods, and it runs a nationwide chain of 19 distribution centers that warehouses and distributes food and supplies to individual chain restaurants. The company started in 1947 as a meat supplier to Southern California restaurants and hotels. Then in 1950s, it won a curious new customer, the fledgling restaurant chain known as McDonald's. Things soon changed as the partnership helped Golden State Foods grow globally into an Irvine-based behemoth with $7 billion a year in revenues. It now handles various industry functions from making food to warehousing and inventory management to stocking an estimated 120,000 restaurants. The company said the move will maximize company efficiencies by placing multiple services including finance, accounting, customer service, and purchasing into one location. In moving its corporate operations to Texas, Quality Custom also said that this centralization will enable it to continue to grow its distribution benefit and solidify its position as a dominant player in the food industry. It chose the Dallas area due to its central location, large talent pool, and excellent business community overall. So that is all of our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, iPad, or Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. And we also publish our daily news podcasts and other utilities on our free WorkCompApps.com smartphone app. Again, I'm Renee Foltz with Floyd, Scarin, Manukian, Langevin. Thanks for joining us today. Please drop by again next week for more news.